0: live there good good morning guys um it's a passage that i really like that i want to uh, share with you here today just listen to it first okay this is how it goes it says wake up O sleeper rise from the dead and christ will shine on you first of all i think that would be a great ringtone alarm in the morning how about you you know Hear it, wake up, oh sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I am convinced that I need to say this to myself. On a regular occasion, I am convinced that we who call ourselves followers of Jesus in a very comfortable lifestyle like we have, Need to remind ourselves of this again and again and again because it's easy to fall asleep, isn't it, guys? Um, this, you, you need to say this too, okay? And this is not one of these passages that you can say sitting down. I mean, if you go, "Wake up, O sleeper, rise!" I mean, it just you know, it just doesn't have it. Stand up and say it after me, all right? Own it like you mean it. Wake up, O sleeper, Wake up, o sleeper. and rise from the dead. And Christ, will shine on you. and Christ will shine on you. Feels good, doesn't it? All right, we got the blood moving, you can sit down, all right? That comes from Ephesians, okay? And Ephesians is this, this really cool book, it's this letter of Paul that, 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 that it's brief, but man, it gives a big picture It's this letter written by Paul while he was in prison, and it touches on, I'm telling you guys, like every major idea that that, that kind of undergirds who God is and what what the Christian experience is about. It, It talks about Jesus, and I mean who he is. I'm talking like who he is. You peel behind the veil and you see, look, here is Jesus behind the skin. It talks about the epic scale themes of things like salvation and destiny and predestiny. And life together. It talks about things like like marriage and, and 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 parents and kids and how we interrelate with each other. It talks about the things that are going on behind the universe and the spiritual warfare. That's a reality of life. It talks about Jew and Gentile and election in the church. And this little six chapter letter from like this. 20,000 foot satellite view is breathing into it all. Wake up, oh sleeper, wake up. Look, listen, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Ephesians, it's one of these books. I'm telling you, if you know like any passage of the Bible, you know, familiar with any, outside of like Psalm 23 and John 3, 16, um, five bucks says, at least one of those passages you're familiar with comes out of Ephesians. Uh, There's this one. It's an ultimate classic, and and burn this in your psyche, guys. You ever hear this one? You are saved by grace through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You know know this one? I mean, can, can you get it clearer than that? God, it's like you. It's all you. There's the one that Mark read earlier there's there's one body and one spirit just as there is one hope to which you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father who is over all and in all and through all this amazing picture of who we are together maybe you're like a spiritual warfare junkie and you know that whole like armor of god thing all out of ephesians the the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith where he says arm yourselves Arm yourselves, take up the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. One that's always been so meaningful to me out of Ephesians. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For just as the church submits to Christ, so wives, submit to your husbands. And and why not? It's not over yet. In, In everything. All did right, that good stuff, guys? I mean, rock on on that front. Yeah, all right, I'm going home. <laughs> Here's things. Yeah, I'm going deeper on that. <laughs> Here's the thing with it, all right? With all of them, with all of them. They're great one-liners, aren't they? And I think that's how we treat them. It's easy. I think this is how it's easy to treat the Bible. We treat it like a collection of one-liners. But do we ever stop to ask the question, why? Why does Paul say that? Why does he say, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I mean, you just kind of feel like, oh, I just feel like penning some good verse today? Or was there a reason behind it? Why does Paul say there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called? Why does he say it? Is it just like his his musings and reflections on life or is there a point? Why does Paul say that amazing advice to wives? Is there a point behind it? And if you don't stop to ask that question, why? Why? like where's he going with all of this and what does it have to do with each other? What's the point? Then I think it betrays that kind of somewhere in your heart, you really just approach the Bible as a random collection of sayings rather than a real message written to real people in a real circumstance for an intended end. You with me? That's what I want to pull the veil back on today in Ephesians. That's what I want to take you through. So let me kind of frame it here. Here's the issue. Okay, you find Ephesus? Okay, in one way or another, the letter of Ephesians is connected with that city right there. Ephesus is like big stuff in the ancient world, in size second only to Rome itself. In fact, it functioned as is like the, 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 the extension capital of Rome in the eastern half of the Roman empire. Huge, commercial, cosmopolitan city. We got some runes here um, I found a picture of, and this is just a taste. I mean, you can see their version of the Sears Center built into a mountain. Seats over 25,000 just in the amphitheater. I got to wear a mic to speak to about 200 of you. You could stand on the stage, I'm told, in the Ephesus amphitheater and talk in a normal voice and hear it as clear as day in the upper seats. It was this huge business center, cultural trend-setting, cosmopolitan place. Here's how I want you to think about it today. It's New York City of the ancient world. And in Ephesus, you would find people of every stripe and variety, like you'd find in New York today. You'd find rich and you'd find poor. You'd find people of every culture and race. You would find this mixture of language, and you'd find people of every religious persuasion, Greeks and pagans and Romans and atheists and, and, and Jews and, and everything else in between. And they all maintain their, their language and their culture and their identity, like you can go to Chinatown or Little Italy or so many of the, the, the niche neighborhoods that make up a city like New York and how it is today. This is Ephesus in the ancient world and Paul comes in to this city. He comes into this city and he starts preaching Jesus as this crucified and risen Messiah and they go, what does that mean? And he goes, let me tell you. And they start buying it. They start wanting it. They start believing it. But herein lies the issue. What happens when you come into a city and there's people of Every economic level, every social level, every religious background in persuasion, every worldview, every culture and race, what happens when you come into this diverse group that starts to come together around the idea that Jesus is Messiah and they are one tell you what happens. It's the same thing that happens everywhere. Division. Division as everyone's assumptions and cultures and preferences still form an undercurrent. I've been a Jew. I've known this story for ages. Who's this new Gentile coming in? Follow me, learn from me, I'll tell you what to do. Hey, I'm making this church run. It's my house they're meeting in. And people are coming and just just thinking, no, 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 it's gonna be my rules, my place, my rules, right? You hear what I mean? I like this style, we're gonna worship Yahweh this way. Because that's the way that means something. this is the the problem Of Ephesus. And so, what Ephesians becomes is one long theological argument as to why we are all one in Christ. Let me rephrase it. What what Ephesians becomes is one long theological argument why we are all in the same boat. When it comes to Christ, why there is no place for division or distinction. And what Paul does is he just kind of launches in and he starts telling why. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bombard you. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to bombard you with passages from Ephesians that talk about this idea of why we're one and why we're all in the same boat. Let's start. He says this, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world. So do we choose him? No, okay, so he chose you. Interesting. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons. So does that mean he predestined you? Well, it would seem so. But also you? Even though you don't look alike, have the same background, have the same language. Right. God predestined us as his sons through faith in accordance with with, with our, our, our great efforts, with our, our great just like because I'm awesome, right? Because I'm like from this place. No, with his pleasure and will. Why? Oh, because he wanted to. It's something he has given us because we're just like really special compared to them, right? In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of our merit, right? He made known to us, not that we discovered it, we're not so smart, he made known to us the mystery of his will, not our will, his will, according to our good pleasure. Are you seeing where he's going with this? Let's keep going. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with his will. As for you, you were dead. Wake up, O oh sleeper. You were dead. You're dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God who was rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ in order to show us in the coming ages that he might, be, um, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, in case you didn't catch it all. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. God chose you. You're his worksmanship, created in him to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are you seeing a theme emerge? Can I sum it up like this? It's all about him. I mean, the only reason you have anything from God is because of Him. The only reason you have any standing with God is because of him. The only reason you're saved, have a relationship with him, are set on a purpose and a course for him, have a future and a destiny is because of him. And at no way whatsoever do you get the hint that it has anything to do with you. How special you are, or how wonderful you are, or how you come from the right stock, or the right family, or the right background, or the right culture, or the right language. It's all about Him. Why are we all in the same boat? (laughs) Because when it comes to God, there's no difference. Like He cares that you're rich and you're poor, like He cares that you're white and you're black, like He cares that your family can trace its lineage to Martin Luther himself. And that you're brand new to this thing called the Christian faith, like God cares? See, what Ephesians is about is that we're all in the same boat because we're all sinners and separate from him. And without God, it doesn't matter what distinctions exist in the world. In him, we're one because it's all about him. And how he's brought us together to be in him. This is the trajectory of Ephesians, a theological argument of why we are one in Christ. But see, here's the issue within us one that Paul isn't like, like naive to. We're not. I mean, we, we are. But we're not because our distinctions still keep an undercurrent, right? And I don't care how close to someone you are. I don't care if they're your clone. I don't care if you're married to them. I don't care if you're sleeping with them. I don't care if you're like, man, they're my best friend. None of us are really one, are we? I mean, we have different, different values that might be similar, but at some level there's difference different values, different experiences, different backgrounds, different likes and dislikes. We have, we have different things in our life that drive us and motivate us. At some level, none of us are really one. And so herein lies the issue. If we are actually one in Christ because of Christ, how do you actually live that oneness out? I mean, how do you put it in a play You see what I mean? And here's what Paul has to say. One verse. One verse. And I tell you, if you can get that one verse and put it into play, you'll have oneness. What do you do when you come up alongside someone else? And they have different values, different experiences, different likes and dislikes, different motivations, and different dreams than you in the world. And what do you do when you want to be one with them? What do you do when you're supposed to be one with them? Submit. I'm telling you, that's the only way oneness happens because I don't care how much you work at it in this world, you are never going to see eye to eye with everyone all the time. So what do you do? Paul says, submit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Put them before yourself. And what he starts to do after this is get highly practical with it. He starts to get into how this applies to, to to relationships that had distinction in his own day, relationships that I think continue to have distinction in one way or another today. He goes to husbands and wives off the back. He starts with my favorite. Wives, do you want to be one with your husband? Submit. Submit to him it is to the Lord. As the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to your husbands and everything. Do you want to be one with him? Put him first. Ladies, there's a lot of you in here that would rather be your husband's mom than his wife. No one wants to sleep with their mom. <laughs> All right? But you don't understand he's an idiot. I know. Do you want to be one with him? Put him first and make it about him instead of yourself. Okay, amen. Let's just end right there. Okay, you didn't hear it. Submit, right? (laughs) He's not done. Everyone wants to end it there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, guys, there are some of you in this room who are more driven and in love with yourself than with her. You are more rooted in your own dreams, your own plans, your own goals, and not hers. But what does Paul tell you? Do you want to be one with her? Do you want to have that oneness Treat her like Jesus treated the church. Die for her. And I don't just mean if you're in some dark alley and someone pulls a gun on you and go, okay, here's my one shot. No, die for her every single day. Put her first in every single way. And you do that and you will start to open the door on this thing called oneness. Paul goes on. He doesn't stop it there. Children and parents, he's got stuff to say to you too. Listen to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I love that last line and I want to know what's going on in his head. Yeah, You want to, you want to live beyond today? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you better do what they say. But my parents are idiots. Yeah, I know, mine were too. All right? I know. They don't get me. They do more than you think. But it doesn't matter. They're your parents. Do you want to be one with them, kids? Do you want to have a close relationship with them? Stop rebelling every step of the way. Listen to what they have to say. Parents, do you want to be one with your kids? Because something tells me that's probably more the case than the reverse. You've got the authority, but do you want to be one with your kids? Listen to what Paul has to say. Do not exacerbate your children. Stop riding them. Stop living vicariously through them. Stop trying to control their life as though it is an extension of your own, making them the lightning rod for your dreams and failures. Parents, what does it mean for you to submit to their kids to, to submit to your kids? Yeah, but all we'll have is like chicken fingers and ice cream every day. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's what Paul's getting at here, all right? In a deeper way, what does it mean to seek oneness with them in this principle as well? Slaves and masters, not so applicable to today. Not directly, anyway. But what if I substitute words like employee, citizen, or any of the other number of ways we find ourselves under the authority? of another obey your earthly masters with respect and fear with sincerity do it like you're you doing it for Christ look at the person like Christ has put them in your life for a reason and obey them like Christ that day obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not them because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does whether he is slave or free and bosses governors coaches teachers and everyone else here who holds authority over another treat them in the same way Paul says treat them as though that you're their slave Do it and start to see what oneness comes out that day. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I can give you a thousand reasons, and Paul does, why we're one in him. But until we come to that step, it remains a theory and not a reality. Now, here's the thing the point of this is not just to have like man like stellar relationships in this world it's not just like oh i just feel so good inside now because there's there's intimacy and oneness because ephesians takes oneness beyond that oneness is not an end for paul but it's a means to an end it has purpose and let me show you one more verse here today as to why he makes this 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 big long theological argument to begin with. Paul write this. He says, Now God's intent was that now. Okay, through who? Church. Now you do understand that whenever Paul talks about the church, the New Testament talks about the church, it ain't talking about a building. We we, we understand that, right? It's not talking about a charter or an organization. It's talking about people who follow God together. Okay, we're absolutely clear on this, right? His intent was that now through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. God's got wisdom. He has got insight and wisdom and mystery to reveal on this world. And it's through this church that God's intent is that it's made known to who? Rulers and authorities Weird, in the heavenly realms, right? Strange, isn't that? What do you do with that? According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me sum it up. You got a mission. Y'all, the church, us, you got a purpose. You got a mission, God has made something known in you and has brought you together in a way that belongs in him. But God ain't done yet with you. It doesn't end with you. It's not like heaven is that, that, that like new development they're building out on the country and you want to be the last person to move there so that the, the pristine landscape can stay intact. No, God wants more and more and more. God is engaged in a rescue operation. And it is a rescue operation for nothing short of the entire world. God has begun it in you. He has chosen you for it. He has brought you together to continue to make it known. To be a spectacle to the powers in the world and life that be even at the heavenly scale. And realm. And the thing that I found is this divided. Divided, there's little difference that you'll make. Divided. There's very little spectacle or making known. But united, together, one is something that speaks. It's something that can't be denied. It's something that can't be pushed away. Paul was in prison because of this unity that led to this mission that wouldn't be broken because he was considered a threat that could not be stopped any other way. What kind of threat are you? What kind of threat are you today? Wake up, O oh sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Because God has a job for you together in Him. Welcome to Ephesians. Let's rise. Band's coming up, all right? We're going to worship, but we're going to worship along a specific trajectory here today. How's how's your submitting going? Yeah, is it going as good as mine? Yeah, yeah, I thought so. All right. How awake are you today? What kind of threat are you posing here today? God, in his love, gave his son to die for you. And what we do here, what part of this is about, is resetting our lives today, every day, saying, Lord, I've been asleep. Lord, it's been about me. Lord, I haven't been posing the impact that you've called me in this day. If I'm speaking to you, just pray this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name.